Man, as I watched that clip, I, that mom, she was really going for it with that acting job there. <laughs> Cleaned her uh, five minutes of fame there, or five seconds of fame, I guess. Well, hey, my name is Jeremy. I'm one of the pastors here at Rooftop, and I am excited to be preaching with you this morning. And that was a clip from the movie Gandhi. And, and in it, we hear the familiar words of Jesus from the Sermon on the Mount. Gandhi talks about turning the other cheek. And if you've been following along with us in our sermon series, you know that by now you shouldn't be surprised. We shouldn't be surprised when we find the words of Jesus popping up in unexpected places. This morning, we're going to continue to look at some of the words of Jesus in our, as Heather mentioned, our sermon series, Religion Redefined, exploring Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7, which has come to be known as the Sermon on the Mount. And the Words of Jesus are so impactful in this sermon that they would go on to influence Gandhi. Thousands of years later, in India, as they struggled for independence, what what Jesus preached in the northwest corner of Palestine impacted that movement in incredible ways. And in a lot of ways, India during the time of Gandhi was like Jerusalem and Judea in the time of Jesus. They were both occupied by foreign powers. And in this clip, we get a little commentary on what Jesus's words mean to people and how they are to respond to things like violence and injustice and racism and all of little snippet that we saw. What's interesting uh, in this clip, as you watch, was that the pastor says, well, I think Jesus was speaking metaphorically about how we're supposed to respond to these things. But Gandhi says this, I'm not so certain. I thought about it a great deal. I suspect he means you must show courage. You must be willing to take a blow, several blows to show that you will not strike back, nor will you be turned aside. And if you do that, it calls upon something in human nature, something that makes his hate for you diminish and his respect increase. I think Christ grasped that and I have seen it work. I wonder which side of that debate you fall on this morning. Is it true? Is what the pastor is saying true? Is Jesus just giving us a metaphorical kind of language? Just, it's just an ideal that we should all kind of attempt to strive to? Or is it a life call, as Gandhi says, to action, to confront brokenness? And when you are confronted with evil and strife and, and horribly, how do you respond? I, for one, think it's the latter. I think what Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount is teaching us is that this is how his kingdom grows and expands in the world. Now, I believe that because I believe the central theme of the gospel is this, that God is now king. I believe that something really happened in first century Palestine that transformed the world. The world is a different place than it was before the resurrection of Jesus. But what we tend to do, especially like sometimes American evangelicalism, we find ourselves sliding that transformation power to the end of time. What we've kind of distilled it down to is, well, what Jesus is offering us right now is just a simple system of salvation by which you can be saved and await the great punch out into heaven. 
And you just kind of do that and you hang on and then the transformation stuff is going to come at the end. And I think most people kind of think that because they think there are kind of two worlds out there. They think there's a spiritual world. Okay, I have my soul, my soul gets saved. And I just kind of hold on and wait. And then in the secular world, quote unquote, there are things like politics and society and social things and economics. And, and, there, and those two things don't interlap in any way. But I think that's a not helpful way to read the Bible because I think the story of the Bible is that God is king. And if he's king, he's king over everything. And in fact, he is currently transforming the world in amazing ways. And he's renewing it through a people who use the life of Jesus as a model by which to live by. And this morning, he's calling us to sit at the feet of Jesus, hear his words, be transformed and transform the world around us in similar ways. So to do that, let's take a look at Matthew chapter 5, verse 38 through 42. Jesus says this, and you have heard it said, eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. So let's take a look at this passage this morning. Jesus starts it out the same way he started out all of most of the passages in Matthew chapter 5. If you've been following along with us. He kind of restates the common teaching of the time. Verse 38. You've heard that it was said, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. What is Jesus getting at here? Eye for an eye. That's an Old Testament quote found all over the place. Book of Leviticus, Deuteronomy. It's found in multiple places. And what they were getting at in the Old Testament, what Jesus is saying is we don't retaliate. We don't take personal vengeance, personal retaliation. Instead, what you do is you take it, you take your grievances to court. And those courts settle grievances based on value, right? The value of an eye for the value of an eye. The value of a tooth for the value of a tooth. It was set in place to curb what is kind of hardwired inside of us, personal vengeance. Society can't function if everyone has their own code and they're just running around paying people back for what's been done to them. Now, we know that Jesus isn't talking about, and even the Jews during this time, they weren't talking about literally eye for an eye, right? Think about it. <laughs> Wouldn't most people be walking around with one eye or one hand? No, they didn't settle disputes that way. They settled them much like we do. Take them to court and you make financial restitutions. Eye for an eye, tooth for tooth, value for value. Proverbs 20, 28 says it this way. Do not say, I'll do to him as he has done to me. I'll pay that man back for what he did. Inside each of us, there is this streak to want to strike back. To whatever's happened to us, we want to respond in kind back. 
But what Jesus offers us is something more than just a simple, okay, restitution, just get back what was taken from you, don't take vengeance. He offers us something better. He offers us a world with no vengeance. He offers us a world that takes issues of personal restitution and violence and injustice and provides a way to heal them and move things forward than just simple, get back what was done to you. We get that as we continue on in the passage here in the very beginning. He says this, verse 39, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. What's Jesus mean here? Is he just saying that, okay, if someone's evil and they're coming after you, you just don't resist them, man. You just let them have their way, do whatever. You just, you cannot fight back. No, I don't believe that's what Jesus meant. When you read this passage, the word evil there can be translated as evil person or by evil means. Some translations say it. Do not resist an evil person by evil means. The word resist is literally the word aligned two armies face to face. So how do we translate this? Well, we look at the life of Jesus. How does Jesus respond when evil things are done to him? How does he see the evil around him? How does he respond to it? Well, he doesn't respond by taking personal revenge. He doesn't respond with violence. Why? Because that's how the world responds to things. Think about the history of the world. Think about World War I, World War II. Think about every conflict that's happened. It always starts as some small little infraction, some misspoken word, some long-buried grievance. And suddenly the whole world's at war. Countries are at war. Violence, revenge. That's how the kingdoms of the world grow and expand. But if we remember back here at the beginning of Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says, be salt and light, do good deeds. And how we respond to injustice and violence is a way of showing light and doing good deeds. Now, that's what Jesus is calling them to. Now, to do that, he doesn't give them 10 theological commands He doesn't give them a theological treatise on this. What's he do? He gives them a story. He paints really three pictures about how to respond. And we're going to look at each of these briefly. Let's look at the first one. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other cheek also. In the time of Jesus, getting slapped in the cheek, especially the right cheek, was not just violence, it was an insult, right? Much like we watched Chris Rock get smacked. It's not just violence, it's also an insult. When Jesus is saying, turn the other cheek, what he's saying is, you're right, yeah, don't strike back, turn the other cheek. But turning the other cheek was a way of saying, hey, If you're going to hit me again, you're going to hit me again as an equal. You're not going to treat me as an inferior. It was a commitment to not not strike back, 
Absolutely. But also a commitment to stand your ground, to not be seen as someone that can be slapped and beat up. I think it's worth mentioning here that Jesus said, Jesus is not saying if you're a man or a woman in some sort of physically abusive relationship that, you know, you just need to turn the other cheek. You just need to, to take it, right? That's not what Jesus is saying. <laughs> Jesus cares for you. Jesus loves you. He does not want you to be in an unsafe, dangerous relationship. He wants you to say, look, I'm not going to strike back, but I, I can't just allow you to keep doing this. I'm your equal. We have equal dignity and worth. Turning the other cheek is not a passive thing, right? We tend to think of that. Well, you just turn and get hit. No, turning the other cheek is a courageous, proactive thing that Jesus is calling his followers to. Let's take a look at another picture. If anyone wants to sue you, take your shirt and hand over your coat as well. Now, I don't think Jesus is trying to paint a picture that there was just lawsuits run amok where people were trying to sue people for their shirts. And Jesus was saying, okay, well, you know, according to the law here, if someone tries to sue you for your shirt, you need to give them your tunic or give them your coat. No, it's not. He's not giving kind of like a literal, this is how you handle this court case. What's he saying? In Jesus' time, uh, men in particular had two kind of articles of clothing. They had a shirt, tunic, and then they had a coat. So what he's saying is if someone's suing you, someone's being greedy, someone's being evil, they're coming after you, a way to expose their greed is to give them your coat as well. The picture that the people who heard this would have thought of is, okay, I'm in court, I'm getting way sued. They're asking for more than just eye for an eye. They're kind of coming after everything I got, the very shirt off my back. Jesus is saying, expose this wickedness by giving him your coat as well. Because if you would have given him your coat, then you would have been bare from the chest up. Uh, in their society, walking around without a shirt on would have been seen as a very shameful thing. So you're in court, you're trying to give this person all you got. I'm sure that's kind of awkward for them. And then you walk out into the streets and people see you there and they, you know, back then people would have ran to help you. Oh my gosh, what happened? Then you could share, hey, this, look at what this person has done. It's a way to stand up for yourselves, not in a violent way, but in a way that draws attention to brokenness, to injustice, to greed. Now, it's worth mentioning, I don't think, as I said, Jesus is saying, okay, in 2023, if you get sued, you just need to go ahead and give them everything in your bank account. But he is saying, in these moments, you have a chance to practice self-sacrifice. He's calling us, he's calling these people to turn the tables in unexpected ways. And the final picture is this. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two. In the time of Jesus, Israel was occupied by the Roman army, a particularly brutal group of individuals. And under the terms of their occupation, a Roman soldier could demand a citizen to carry their equipment. So he got all this equipment, very heavy. He could ask them to carry their equipment one mile. Now, this might seem like not really that big of a deal. Okay, just put this thing on and carry it. Or if you're on your way to work, 
And this Roman soldier says, hey, sorry, you got to carry this one mile. Or what if you just went grocery shopping and got all these groceries? Now I got to put these groceries, I guess, on the side of the road. Got to walk a mile. I hope they're there when I get back. Or what if it's late in the evening and you're walking in the dark and then you go the mile and then you got to walk back in the dark. So it was a very challenging part of life. But when Jesus says, go the second mile, he knows that the Roman law says that they can only carry it one mile. That was kind of the limit. They were, they were trying to be humane and gracious. The challenge to go the extra mile is a way to kind of turn the tables, right? The Romans knew that if they were to force a, a Jew to go an extra mile, to go two miles, they could be in trouble. To force someone to carry your bag more than a mile, you could be in trouble. So Jesus is saying once again, listen, here's an unexpected way to lovingly kind of turn the tables on injustice. So his fears would have pictured this. It's late in the evening, this Jewish man, woman, or child carrying this pack for a mile. They get to the mile point, and the Roman soldier's like, all right, give me the pack. It's been a mile. And then the Jew looked at him and said, nope, I'm going to go an extra mile. I'm going to go two miles. Well, now the Roman soldier's like, well, if anybody sees this, I could get in trouble. What if my commanders find out? Oh, my gosh. And then you got this funny little debate and argument over the bag. It's a way to confront and overturn injustice through nonviolence. And then Jesus ends the teaching with this. Give to the one who asks and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. As Jesus is talking about injustice and violence and brokenness and ways to confront it, there's always this reminder. There's always this teaching that Jesus gives and it sits in the back of the head of his people. And if you read the book of Acts and you read the book of James, it comes up over and over and over again to remember the poor among you. To remember that even in your simplest moments of handing out five bucks, a jacket, a thing of water, a conversation, you in a way are overturning brokenness and injustice around you. What does this all mean for us today? So Jesus painted these pictures about what it means to be a person in his kingdom responding to violence and injustice. What does this mean for us today? We don't live under an oppressive regime like Gandhi did or like the Jews in Jesus' time did. Although some Christians around the world do live under those real circumstances, even missionaries we support. You may encounter, but we probably do encounter hostility from time to time. We do bump up against violent people systems of injustice. How do we respond? How do you respond at work if your boss is maybe just a jerk? He or she is just a jerk. How do you respond? Maybe you're a high school, middle school, elementary school student, and you have that kid, that picture in your head, a person who bullies everyone, maybe physically, maybe socially, just not a very nice person. How are we to respond? And not just respond, how is Jesus' kingdom going forward? We live in this in-between time, right? At the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The resurrection, is kingdom's here. It's kind of growing and expanding. It's not here in totality yet. 
So it's bumping up against kingdoms of the world. How are we to respond? Well, Paul gives us, whether it's at our job, at the school, dare I say even on a global level, Paul gives us words of wisdom in Romans chapter 12. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. This is where Paul's getting it, right here from the Sermon on the Mount. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it demands on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. Okay, that sounds a little like turn the other cheek, right? Just don't respond with evil. On the contrary, verse 20, now Paul kind of captures, I think, the spirit of it. Listen to the proactive call. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heat burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Matt and I were discussing this passage this week, and he shared a thought. I think it's a great thought. I think it's a great kind of rule uh, to adopt. Here's a little tip. Um, you want to get better in some area? I, I, I do think it's healthy to have a rule, right? What if you just, instead of saying, hey, I'm going to try to not drink soda, you just said, hey, my rule is I don't drink soda, okay? What if we adopted this rule as God's people? Do not respond in kind, Matt shared with me, but with kindness, I think that's a great rule. That, that's my rule. My rule is I don't respond in kind, but with kindness. When we're struck physically, violence happens to us, we're hurt, in pain. However, that's been perpetuated on us. We respond not in kind. We seek to not respond the same way back. It might look something like this. Try to think of a way to kind of bring this home a little bit. After uh, we get done with singing, we transition into the lobby for some in-between time where we connect with one another. What about, what if during in-between time you're standing there eating your, uh, what do they call it around here, donuts, you're drinking your coffee, you're having a good time, and then all of a sudden I just kind of storm across the room, I get in your face, and I'm pointing at you, and I'm saying, I can't believe you fell asleep during my sermon. Uh, you're the worst congregant of this church. I can't believe you. You're no good. You're awful. You're the worst person. I can't believe. You know what? And I heard this and this about you. And I just dress you down, angry, pointing my finger, maybe even poking you in the chest. I'm just angry, angry. Turning the other cheek doesn't just mean, okay, well, you know, just kind of cower and let me say what I want to say. Turning the other cheek means you kind of stand your ground. You look at me right in the face and you say, is there anything else you'd like to say to me this morning? Now, unless I'm just like a sociopath, in that moment, I think as Gandhi said at the beginning, it would call upon something where hopefully responding that way would snap you back into reality of, oh my gosh, what am I doing? I would see that, okay, this person's not going to be coward and bullied. This, this person is standing their ground. At the bare minimum, though, maybe it would give a moment, a chance for reconciliation between us, or in a moment for other people to see and say, good grief, what is going on? 
Why are you acting this way, Jeremy? Are you okay? Now, do you believe that responding to violence, responding to uh, evil things like that, which that would be evil for me to treat you that way, do you think that responding like that would, will transform the world? Not just the world of rooftop, but are you crazy enough like me to believe that that can transform the world on a global scale? Do you believe that that's Jesus's pattern for transformation? Next Sunday is 9-11, a day when we remember the evil terrorist attacks that were perpetuated on our nation coming up on two decades. One decade, sorry. The death toll for that day, 9-11, 2,996 people lost their lives that day. Evil attack. Women, children, men, lives lost. Now, how did our country respond? How did the world respond to that? We responded. We chose to retaliate in kind. We launched what's called the War on Terror. And the retaliation has resulted in this. Listen to these numbers. Over 900,000 people dead. Over 300,000 of them civilians in 80 different countries to the tune of $8 trillion. Could you imagine for a moment what it might have been like now, this is challenging for us as a nation to not retaliate as we did. Can you even imagine a world like that existing? That instead of retaliating, taking a breath and saying, okay, we can't allow this to go on and continue, but we're not going to strike. Does that sound like crazy to you? Does that sound like out of this world? That's the point. <laughs> That's what Jesus is getting at. But there have been movements that have responded that way. Think about the civil rights movement in our own country. The evils of Jim Crow, segregation, racism, lynching, overturned by a commitment to nonviolence. Gandhi in India, the same thing. Many places in South and Central America, in the Philippines, tons of places with this similar commitment. Listen to this quote by MLK. He says this, in spite of temporary victories, violence never brings a permanent peace. I think that's what Jesus is trying to get us to say. Violence, or see, violence will not bring about permanent peace. It may bring about a temporary victory, but it will not bring about permanent peace. We are tempted, I think, in America to think that violence will bring about lasting peace. But can I show you some pictures of a different way? I'll show you a couple of pictures of some priests 
in Eastern Europe as they were responding to riots. And these pictures, I probably saw them four years ago, I think, have, they've been just, they moved me in just kind of incredible ways. When I look at these pastors, I look at these men standing in the middle of riots. Look to the next one, Eric. This is the one that kind of keeps me up at night. Standing in the middle of violence and injustice and riots. And what are they holding in their hands? Not weapons, but crosses. Self-sacrifice, the cross. Do all these images and pictures remind you of anyone else? Hopefully so. His name is Jesus. This is the way of Jesus. Usually at Rooftop, we try to give you practical takeaways. We strive really hard to kind of connect all the dots and, and help you every single time we get together. But this morning, kind of how, what I wanted to spend my few remaining minutes is looking and reflecting on the life of Jesus and the way he lived and the way he confronted things. And my hope is that by looking and focusing on the life and response of Jesus, it will stir something in you that will grow and blossom in your life. Jesus is opening up a way to be human like that that will transform this world. To live a life committed to that is a way to encounter Jesus, to encounter God. That's what the Sermon on the Mount is about, encountering God as we join him on this call. This is the blueprint of the life of Jesus. Colossians chapter 2, verse 13. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Jesus disarms powers and authorities. Those are the demonic, evil, wicked forces that give power and life to the broken, ugly, beast-like kingdoms of this world. Jesus disarms them. He breaks them so that we don't have to be beholden to them. We don't have to live that way anymore. He shows us a new way of living by destroying those things. Now, how does he do it? Does he do it with a bomb, a tank, a gun? No, he does it with what? A cross. He does it with a cross. Self-sacrifice. He takes the violence and the brokenness on himself and he dies. I'm going to end by reading you a snippet of the passion of Jesus, his, his final moments. Now, he's confronted with evil forces, demonic forces, Rome power. He's confronted with a lot of injustice. And listen to how he responds. These all come from the book of John. I'm just going to read them as a whole to you. There'll be some pictures that demonstrate some of these things. When Jesus said this, when he's on trial, one of the officials nearby slapped him in the face. Is this the way you answer the high priest, he demanded? If I said something wrong, Jesus replied, testify as to what I did wrong. But if I speak the truth, why did you slap me? So the soldiers took charge of Jesus, carrying his own cross. He went to the place of the skull. There they crucified him with two others. When the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes, dividing them into four shares, one for each of them. 
what is Jesus doing? Faced with more evil than we will ever face in our lives, he does what? Turns the other cheek. He gives away his garment. He carries the Roman equipment that came to symbolize death and oppression and murder. And he transformed it into a sign of peace. And if Jesus can destroy sin, Satan, death with that kind of life, man, what more could he do with all of us living that life? A whole movement of people committed to this way of life can transform the world around us. Rooftop, in our generation, especially if in your teens or 20s, I guess that's not our generation, your generation, (laughs) you're going to face a world full of possibilities, some of them for great good, some of them for great evil. How are you going to make it through? How do you respond to these things? Jesus, his life, and his spirit offers us a beautiful and compelling way to discern where God is in the work and how we are to respond to the dangers and opportunities that might confront us. All of us in our own way are called to that task, whether you're in high school, with a job, with your family, we're all called to respond in kind. And in doing that, encounter Jesus like never before.